1: This is a show about redheaded people, um, sometimes known as gingers, although we're going to discuss whether or not that's an appropriate thing uh, to call them. Um, And I can tell you exactly when I started thinking about doing this show. This show has been germinating for a while, and I I finally uh, got uh, Josh Nalea, one of our producers, interested in joining me on this show. But I started thinking about it in July of last year. And the reason that I started thinking about it was that uh, one of the shows that one of the podcasts that I really love is the Slate Culture Gab Fest. And they, in one of their July episodes, were talking in kind of a negative way about Ed Sheeran. Uh, And so then on their Facebook page, there were a lot of people calling them out because they I guess I should uh, make this more specific Uh, Two of the women on the show, especially Julia Turner, who's the editor of Slate, was sort of saying that. That she just didn't really want to hear Ed Sheeran talk about pressing his body up against hers or what, whatever he says in the shape of you, and and so on their Facebook page, people saw that as as gingerphobic. They saw that. As a way of saying that Ed Sheeran was not physically appealing and they extrapolated from there to the fact that he because he has red hair and he kind of fits the stereotype uh, of the ginger. And this in turn occasioned on the next episode of their podcast a, dis- <laughs> a discussion uh, about whether or not they were gingerphobic. And here's a bit of that discussion.
2: Steve, before we start, can I interject with uh, an outcry? of calumny against the Slate Culture Gab Fest <laughs> sure. or against calumny. That sounds didn't really make sense. But we were roundly uh, cuffed on the Sl- uh, Slate Culture Gab Fest Facebook page for our ginger shaming and body shaming of Ed Sheeran. <laughs> it was assumed that we objected to the song Shape of You uh, because we are lookest and because we did not think anyone who had the appearance of Ed Sheeran had any business singing about putting his body near anyone else's body. And I just want to say that is a ludicrous charge, in my view. I'm curious to hear what Steve and Dana think. But uh, I have a strong record of being pro-gender generally, and I'm married to a redhead. So I defy anyone <laughs> to suggest that I am anti-gender. I think, if anything, I'm pro. I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting question, I guess. But like, I don't, I barely know what Ed Sheeran looks like. I feel like my response to that song. And it's doofy sexuality has to do with the sound of it. Like it just it doesn't sound sexy. But maybe I, maybe I am secretly Lucas. I don't know.
1: All right. So it went on from there. Um, and it got me thinking because there, there is sort of a thing. There's a way that people talk about uh, people with red hair. Uh, I mean, in a weird to- way, we're living. We're living on their planet. I mean, we're living on the planet of Ed Sheeran. Ed, you can't go anywhere in the world. Trust me, I've been traveling lately. You can't go anywhere in the world without seeing like a street musician with a guitar singing an Ed Sheeran song. And then there's Prince Harry, who right now is, you know, by far the most interesting royal. And and then there's who's the most beautiful woman in the world? Well, I mean, Nicole Kidman's got to be, you know, somewhere on that list and maybe at the top of some people's list. And then you've got Christina Hendricks, too. You could keep going. And I was even thinking, and this is going to be another clip before we even get to our poor guests who are waiting to come on the show. I was also thinking that for all the popularity of Game of Thrones... There is only one line from all those seasons of Game of Thrones that anybody remembers that has become a a meme, that has become the kind of meme that gets twisted around and applied to other situations. One line from the entire series that people say a lot outside the context of the series. And of course, we know what that line is.
3: You know nothing, Jon Snow. You know nothing, Jon Snow.
1: I know your people are brave. No one denies that.
3: You know
2: nothing. Six
1: don't. times.
3: You know nothing, John Snow. You know
0: nothing, John
1: Snow. And that line, of course, is spoken by a redheaded character. So it's kind of like, you know, we're living in a very positive age for redheaded people. Uh, Egret, I should say, is the character who says that line, sort of a crypto Viking uh, on the show. And uh, we live in, there are a lot of positive depictions of redheaded people, but I also do see that. I see that thing, like they're a minority that's kind of okay to pick on in certain ways. And so I wanted to explore that a little bit. I wanted to do a show about all those things, uh, about the redheaded people among us. Uh, and to do that, uh, we have assembled some terrific guests, the people who wrote the book, so to speak. Uh, Aaron LaRosa, a uh, former writer for BuzzFeed, creator of the blog Side of Ginger, and the author of The Big Redheaded Book, Inside the Secret Society of Red Hair uh, is joining us by phone. By Skype, Uh, we're being joined by Jackie Collins Harvey, writer, editor, and author of the book Red, A History of the Redhead. So, um, Aaron, I'm going to start with you and just ask you, like, as you heard that clip from Slate, you know, there was even like sort of, you know, some of my best friends are redheaded. Uh, Right. (laughs) I don't know. What what did you make of all that? I'm sure it's not the first time you've heard something like that.
4: Right. And you'd be surprised, like a lot of people, I obviously have red hair and a lot of people will talk to me about what they're attracted to. And the number of times that I've had friends say offhanded things like, well, I'm just not attracted to redheads or, you know, like I I don't find red haired men attractive. And they kind of feel okay telling me that, um, which, you know, how does that make me feel as a redhead? (laughs) Um, and as someone who might have red-haired children someday. Um, so I think it has a lot to do with the stereotypes that surround redheads and, and sort of the history of how redheads have been treated. I think it's particularly bad for red-haired men Um red haired women obviously have their own issues, but for whatever reason, um, it's been, it's been hard for men to bridge that gap. I do agree. Like you said, it's getting better because there are people like Ed Sheeran and Prince Harry and Donald Gleason, and all of these really great men who are kind of front and center right now and are really attractive and kind of letting people know like, Hey, we're here and it's okay to like us now. Um, but You know, when my brother was growing up, and and he's a redhead, he really didn't have any male red-haired role models or leading men who you know, could he could point to and say like, well, that's my that's who I look up to. That's that's who I'm like. And I I do think that pop culture informs so much of what we're attracted to and what we think is acceptable.
1: Right. And Donald Gleason, unfortunately, has joined the empire, which probably wasn't a good move uh, for the redheaded (laughs) people. He's
4: definitely feeding into that evil red hair. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Which we'll come to in a second. But, you know, I want to just tease that apart a little bit, Aaron. Do you think I was I was trying to analyze the kind of offhandedness of some of this kind of, I mean, you just wouldn't talk that way about certain other kinds of minorities. And is it, is the built-in assumption, well, you're basically part of the ruling class anyway. You're white. If you're a redheaded male, you're a white male, which is in terms of privilege and stuff like that, you know, that's the top of the heap. So why do I have to worry about any of your other sensibilities? Is that kind of built into this, this question?
4: You know, I I think that's definitely part of it. I think the other part is that people see hair color as sort of fluid. You know, it's something that you can change if you want to, like you could dye your hair, for example. Um, But I do think it has a lot to do with the fact that it's a hair color and not a skin color. And it's not, um, you know, a gender or a sexuality. It's something that That everyone has and and can change and I think that's a maybe a bigger part of it for me Um, I also think it's important to note that you know I I think people have this stereotype or this this idea that all redheads are like blue-eyed and fair skinned and Mm -hmm. and that's also not the case Um, redheads come in in every race and um, red hair didn't originate in Scotland or Ireland as as a lot of people probably think it did Um, so you know I don't know. I, I personally think it's probably more to do with the fact that that it's just a hair color, um, but it is something we're born with, and it's something that says a lot about us. So it, I, I think it, it just gets kind of muddled in there.
1: Right. So uh, now's the time to bring in Jackie because Jackie, it, it on the one hand is just a hair color, but you write that it is the single most significant characteristic of your life. Explain why that is.
5: Uh, very simply, because that's how the rest of the world makes it. Really, that's how the rest of the world defines you. If you're a redhead, as a redhead, you will always be pointed out as the redhead. Um, you'll always be seen as being slightly different. You'll always be expected to conform with these various stereotypes that go along with being a redhead. I do. Th- I hadn't heard the Slate clip about Ed Sheeran before. And I found it very, very interesting. I mean, Slate do have this slightly shock jockey thing they do. But I grew up in Suffolk like Ed Sheeran. I went to a small village school like Ed Sheeran. I didn't have to deal with having a stutter or glasses or being deaf in one ear as a child as he had to. Uh, So I imagine that, you know, after that, he can probably take just about anything that Slate is likely to say about him. But it is intriguing, as you say, exactly so. You you have this uh, this one detail that people pick upon. And because they're used to seeing it as going with white skin, any kind of discrimination against red hair kind of sneaks in under the radar in a very intriguing way.
1: Yeah. And Jackie, could I ask you, I mean, I'll ask both of you this, but um, so it is basically just a hair color when you get right down to it. And, and as Aaron points out, it doesn't even necessarily map perfectly onto white skin. Um, no, by no means. So
5: Red you, hair originated in the Middle East.
1: So, so Jackie, if you didn't want to be the object of prejudice or various false assumptions, you could just dye your hair some other color. Why wouldn't you do that?
5: Well, you could do that. And in fact, I did do it. When I was a teenager, I had my hair shorn off to about an inch long all over and peroxide blonde. And as soon as I had had it done, as soon as I walked out of the hairdressers, I thought this is a terrible mistake. Because as a redhead, you start to get used to having a particular degree of attention particularly as a woman Mm -hmm. that is focused on you as a redhead and if your hair isn't red you lose that and i felt i had really lost some essential part of my personality and my sense of myself in having changed the color of my hair and there is of course you know a wider argument why should you change this one characteristic about yourself if you're not the person who has the problem with it if the problem is all coming at you from outside as it were
1: Right. So, Aaron, um, this is all making me think of a song from back in the 1960s uh, by David Crosby. He sang a song called Almost Cut My Hair. And it was it, back in the 60s. You could A man with long hair could be denied employment or kicked off a bus or whatever. I mean, uh, you're, <laughs> my cousin was literally kicked off public transportation because he had long hair. So and he, wow. he, he sings that song and he says, I could have said it, it, it was in my way, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not giving in. So I would assume that, you know, if you're if you have a certain pride uh, about all this that's that's the other reason and, and and Jackie has already alluded to it that you wouldn't dye your hair just to get out from under all these weird assumptions
4: yeah and you know um my brother actually similarly dyed his hair blonde when he was in high school he was going through a, a different level of bullying than i was for me um i i never changed my hair because i even when i was bullied and people teased me, you know, about my hair in various cruel ways, which I can tell you about if you're interested. Um, I felt like, and maybe it, maybe it's part of being a redhead, but I felt like keeping my hair red was a statement that, you know, even though I was being made fun of for it, I wanted to keep it. Maybe that's part of that fiery stereotype we have going on for us. But um, it meant more to me to to not change my hair and to be who I was than to pretend that I was something else, which is essentially what you're, you know, asking people to do by dyeing their hair or cutting their hair or changing how they are.
1: Um, Aaron, um, when we talk about bullying, I mean, there actually is such a thing as kick a ginger day.
4: That is correct. It's coming up on January 20th. It is approaching.
1: And, and what is that?
4: So um, I write about this in my book. Uh, there was an episode of South Park called Ginger Vitus. <laughs> and um, the whole episode, and, and by the way, like I'm a big South Park fan, so I was kind of excited that the redheads were a topic on the show. But, right.
1: And actually, um, actually, before you finish that thought, just so people don't think that we're making this up, uh, here's a little bit of it. <laughs> Hello there, kids.
0: We came to learn the facts about people with red hair, light skin, and freckles. Oh,
1: gingers, yes. Our cute little red-haired rascals.
0: I'm sorry, but I don't understand. You both have dark hair and brown
1: eyes. Yes, we've learned that the ginger gene is recessive in both our family's DNA. Actually, the odds of us having a red-haired freckled child were only one in four. (laughs) And still it happened! Three times! (laughs) What are the odds?
3: (laughs) A lot of people carry the ginger gene and don't know. If your spouse is also a carrier, then your children can turn out like...
1: ...them. Each one of them's a blessing! Oh yes, each one of them's a blessing. Uh, bless a blessing full of love. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> All right, so Aaron, uh, you, now you can continue your story.
4: <laughs> um, so yeah, so the um, the ginger episode came out, and um, you know, personally, when I was watching it, I went from laughing at moments like that to really cringing because the episode itself. Um, really portrays redheads in a super negative light. And usually what South Park is great at is they can be very tongue-in-cheek about things, but Mm -hmm. this kind of felt like it crossed a weird line where it was just bashing relentlessly. So um, after that episode aired in 2008, there was a 14-year-old boy in Canada who launched a Facebook page called Kick a Ginger. He was inspired by the episode. Um, And there were about 5000 members initially who were told to, you know, just inflict violence on redheads. So there was actually a quote on the page that said, get them steel toes ready. Um, so on November 20th of that year, the members in that group carried out that message. And, you know, there was a boy in British Columbia he was 13 years old. He reported being assaulted 80 times that day. Um, there were also 20 students who were suspended from another middle school for participating in the holiday. Um, and, you know, the, the page itself says that it's a joke and shouldn't be taken seriously. But when you look um, back at what the page is actually encouraging its members to do, it really was telling people, like, inflict violence on redheads. And um, so, yeah, that, that holiday still persists
1: today. So... Almost so, later. yeah, that's just, first of all, insane and sick and stupid. And, um, and and I think probably does miss the point of the South Park episode. And, and we should add there's um a, a, also a disturbing video by by M.I.A. Uh, for the right. song Born Free. But it's sort of clear there, Aaron, that what they're talking about is the ar- arbitrariness of prejudice. You just pick out something, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and and then you make it the target and it doesn't really once again, correlate very well with much of anything, but it's just somebody different. Right. Colin, and I if I could. Yeah. yeah, Jump in, Jackie. Go ahead. Sure. If
5: I could just jump in there, there has been some pushback. In fact, there was pushback almost immediately against kicker ginger day from a redheaded Canadian comedian called Derek Forgey, who started kiss a ginger day, which we've all just celebrated on January the 12th. And it is, I mean, I love South Park and I think that particular episode is a, you know, the problem with it is don't show sophisticated satires on the stupidity of discrimination to the stupid. This is the thing, because the people who should take most note of this kind of thing are always the ones who take it completely seriously. But I, it is, uh, it's something that, you know, the redheaded community and there is a real redheaded community out there internationally very much took notice of, and still pushes back against every single year.
1: So um, I want to talk to both of you about, I mean, what what are, what, what is the folklore? Uh, Aaron, I'll start with you, but I want to hear from both of you. What's, I mean, I feel like re- reading your book and reading some uh, related material, I feel like almost every possible projection gets made onto redheads, both positive and negative.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of uh, stereotypes about us. You know, there's there's the red-haired fixin, which I think we've all probably seen, you know, whether it's like Joan from Mad Men or if you're looking at even Jessica Rabbit, just kind of like iconic sex pot there. right. Um, you know, that I think ties into a couple of things. Red has a lot of psychological implications. you know, there have been studies that show that the color red just increases your heart rate. It's obviously the color of passion. and you know throughout history we've seen redheads kind of depicted in a sexual way in the art world as well um but you know for me like especially growing up i grew up with a couple of characters who influenced how people treated me which was i don't know if you ever saw american pie but there was michelle in american pie who was kind of like she she you know takes a flute and and does some things with it. We'll Talks mm. about that in the movie um there was Gloria in Wedding Crashers, who's really sex-crazed. And, and for me, that really materialized, especially in high school, when people were like, oh, I bet you're like that girl from American Pie. You know, I had a couple of guys say that to me, or just kind of assume that I would be crazy in bed because of things that they had seen in pop culture, or depictions of redheads they had seen there. Um, but, you know, the other thing that I got as a as a female was the fiery redhead mm-hmm. trope, which, you know, can be good and bad. Um we see that a lot in pop culture. I think of always like Rose in Titanic. She's so fiery. Or, you know, you play that clip of Ygritte from mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, total, total fiery redhead. Um, and I think that stems a lot, too, from the psychological implications of, of that color. You know, it's the color of anger. We, we get red in the face. People say that they're seeing red. And if you look at our kind of like historical ancestors too, we've got some some angry people in history, like King Henry the Eighth, for example. Mm-hmm. He was he was definitely a fiery redhead, um, and I think a lot of redheads will will kind of claim that fiery trope and and use it for their own purposes. I know that I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, to get oh, out I person. certainly <laughs> have as well.
5: Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had a, a bully at my village school in Suffolk. I mean, every village school has a bully, and he picked on a friend of mine, and I blacked his eye. And I got away with it on the grounds that I was a redhead. So if he teased someone who was a friend of mine, what on earth did he expect? It was kind of telling, looking back on it, that he didn't tease me. But yeah, Yeah. you know, and it's not a stereotype now that I would use without feeling guilty about using it. But uh, it is definitely there. I hate to say it, but there is a, a scientific basis for the fiery redhead as well the um the business of being a redhead is much more than just skin or hair deep one of the oddities of your um your chemistry if you're a redhead is that your cells can produce you can produce adrenaline much more quickly than people with other hair colors and your cells can take it up much more quickly as well So this stereotype of the fiery redhead may actually have some scientific basis behind it.
1: Uh, I want to uh, come back in our second segment to more of the scientific parts of being a redhead. But I'm also going to ask both of you. And Jackie, I'll start with you. Do you think redheaded men are understood differently? Aaron just kind of ran through some vixen stereotypes and fiery redhead stereotypes. uh, And the fiery stuff maybe can apply to men. But are redheaded men, uh, Jackie, understood differently?
5: Yeah, I think they are. This is one of the things that I um, was very, very interested in in my book on the history of the redhead is the fact that it's so gendered as a stereotype. I think it's unique in being so gendered in that women get the more positive attributes, if you can call being a, a, a sex symbol, an attribute. I mean, we know what Marilyn Monroe had to say about being a symbol. And uh, she was, in, in fact, it looks as if her original hair color was red. Her mother was certainly a redhead. And there are some very early photographs of Marilyn Monroe as a redhead. And she was very, very acute on the difference between being perceived as a person and being perceived as a symbol. But where men are concerned, they have these two very, very unpleasant stereotypes. One is the barbarian tribes encountered around the Black Sea by the ancient Greeks and Romans, who do seem to have had a lot of redheads amongst them. And the other is the figure of Judas, which has snarled up the whole business of having red hair, in particular being a redheaded man, with anti-Semitism and Europe in particular's horrible history of persecution against the Jews.
1: I'm glad you pointed that out. And it's sort of a weird thing, because I don't think necessarily people often make that assumption. Um, On a less dire front, Aaron, there's another way in which, and you read about this in the book, that uh, redheaded men in culture are, it's sort of the Ron Weasley phenomenon. You're a sidekick, right? You're kind of a flavoring that goes with the main dish.
4: Right. The comic relief redhead. That's what I call them. (laughs) Um, You know, I I spoke to some people about this, just where that came from, because we see so many funny redheads um, and a lot of redheads who are kind of treated, yeah, as you said, as the sidekick. So, you know, we think of people like Conan O'Brien or Lucille Ball, Kathy Griffin, Ron Weasley, one of my favorite redheads. um, And that seems to be stemming from the 20th century. Uh, There was a big influx of Irish immigrants. And in clowning culture, actually, they, you know, in order to be seen in the big circus tents, right, they needed to wear very brightly colored wigs. Red is obviously a very bright color. Um, And they would often play on things that were happening in the world. So in the early 20th century, with this influx of immigrants, they would often, you know, portray the clown as an immigrant and kind of put them against something more nuanced, like a big city, like coming to a big city, right? So it's no surprise that those clowns had Irish surnames. There's Emmett Kelly. Ronald McDonald chose to do his name spelled in the Irish way instead of the Scottish way. (laughs) Um, And, you know, that has held true. Uh, I think redheads are given a lot of license, too. I I know I was to be funny because you're being made fun of so much that you have to figure out ways to deal with that. And a lot of that is, is developing a sense of humor and getting people to laugh with you instead of at you. So I, I think as a redhead, yeah,
5: Ed positive. Sheeran has said, being a redhead makes you very quick witted. I think he's right on that. But you know, the redheaded clown also goes back to the stereotypes of ancient Greece. Clowns in Greek theater were frequently the barbarian characters and they would have been played wearing a red wig.
1: Mm. This whole thing is um, had the uh, unexpected effect of exciting sympathy in me for Carrot Top, uh, which I didn't think was quite possible. But anyway, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more about the science of this. I do want to say, if you're listening, particularly if you're listening and you're redheaded, uh, and you want to call in, I'm really sorry, but we're actually recording this thing in the morning because of a scheduling uh, issue, so you can't call in, but you could tweet at WNPR You can go on our Facebook page, uh, The Colin McEnroe Show on uh, Facebook, and uh, leave your comments. Uh, I'm sure all of you out there in the redheaded community uh, have things to say about this. Let's take a break. Let's, uh, we'll have these two wonderful guests when we come back. Almost cut my hair. It happened just the other day. We're back. We're talking about redheaded people. Or gingers, although I want to get to that because there's a, a, a linguistic question that I have here. Uh, our guests are Aaron LaRosa, former writer for BuzzFeed, a creator of the blog Side of Ginger and author of the big redhead book Inside the Secret Society of Red Hair. And Jackie Collis Harvey, uh, writer, editor and author of the book Red, A History of the Redhead. So, um, I want to ask both of you uh, about this because you may have different takes on it, too. Um, uh, first of all, we should say that, and Jackie, I'll start with you on this. My sense is that the term ginger was a, a term that existed in, in Britain and maybe the, the entire UK and, and, and Ireland, too, a long time before it made its way over here. I don't remember. I had a, knew a lot of redheaded kids when I was growing up. Nobody called them gingers.
5: Yeah, that's very interesting. I think you're absolutely right there. I think it has become more widely applied to ginger's or ginger redheaded characters from the the nineteen fifties onwards. So there was a comic called Archie, which I think may have mm-hmm. had a lot to do with it. Right. Uh, but it's uh, it's a it's a term that comes from in its application to redheads. I think first of all from the fact that from the the spice ginger, which is hot in the mouth, and. Mm-hmm. So sits alongside some of the associations there are with red hair. It also comes from um, cockfighting, which is not particularly good place for any word to trace its way back to, but uh, you you would ginger up a cockerel to get it to fight fiercely, and uh, there was also a particular sort of cockfighting cockerel called a ginger. <laughs> So, you know, it's got interesting antecedents, but I'm not sure that they're, the more historical ones are necessarily particularly good.
1: So, um Aaron, in that infamous uh, south Park um, uh, broadcast uh, actually the the Cartman I think is the person doing the this paper uh, about gingers, and he actually makes a distinction he says he says gingers are people with red hair, light skin, and freckles, as opposed to all the other people who could conceivably have red hair. but I guess I find myself wondering whether ginger. Is it kind of like the N word? Is it kind of like a word that maybe it's okay for? I mean, I, I probably shouldn't be saying, hey, what up, my ginger, uh, if I'm right. not one.
4: <laughs> there's this great um, Tim Mention song called uh, Only, a, you know, it's called Prejudice, and, and there's a line It says, Only a ginger can call another ginger ginger. And, um, you know, I'm I'm a bit of a believer in that, only because when I was growing up and Jackie may have had a totally different experience, but ginger was often used as a slur, as like a bad thing when people said it, like, Oh, well you're a ginger. Mm-hmm kind of in a negative way so for me like I can call my and I you know have redhead friends like Jackie I can call Jackie a ginger and I feel okay about that but ginger um, sister yeah (laughs) that's right but I don't know if I want someone else calling me a ginger unless I really know them and I know it's coming from a a good place because I have such negative associations with it Um, and maybe kids growing up today it's maybe a little different but I know for me it's it was used as a slur for Mm -hmm. me Um, just like a negative thing growing up
1: I will. First of all, I will refrain from using agree. I
5: I think that um, I err on the side of only a ginger can call another ginger ginger for sure. And usually when I heard it in my childhood, it was said with this kind of snotty tone of voice.
1: I'm (laughs) not going to say ginger, please uh, from now on. then. Um, All right. So um, let's talk a little bit about the science of this and the demographics of it. Jackie, I'm going to start with you. What percentage of the people in the world uh, are uh, redheaded people?
5: As a rough average, 2% of the population of the planet. Hmm. It goes up and down from one country to another. Ireland and Scotland have about 13 to 15%.
1: Hmm. And and so, um, Aaron, I suppose one concern that people might have is if this really does represent a burden that one carries around in life. Although, I mean, I think we can make the argument that it's pretty double edged. Jackie uh, immediately missed uh, the attention she got when she cut her hair short. Um, right. But people might select out of this as they begin become more and more able in vitro to make choices about aspects of their baby's genotype. Is that a worry in the redheaded community?
4: Well, weirdly, um, since since you mentioned that, there actually was a sperm bank, I believe it was in Denmark. Is that right, Jackie? That, yeah, um,
5: Prius International. Absolutely right. right yeah,
4: They um, stopped accepting redhead donations. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and um, they cited like lack of popularity with um, with their clientele for, for getting redheads. But uh, what I did read about that, too, was that You know, there are other countries where redheads are still in demand, um, where people want redheads. It just happens that in Denmark, apparently they don't. Mm. Um, Well, they didn't at that point. But um,
5: Denmark, being one of these wonderful liberal Scandinavian countries, cryos have actually started looking positively for donations from redheaded sperm donors now because there are gay couples are having children through in vitro fertilization and if one of the gay couple is a redhead then they want to have a redheaded child to create that sort of visual link within the family i think redheads are having a bit of a moment currently to be honest yeah and you know there was this myth for years that redheads were going to go extinct although maybe only two percent of the population of the planet is an actual redhead it's been estimated that maybe 40 percent of the planet are carrying the redheaded gene without knowing it Mm. So it would take quite something before there was any dip in our numbers.
1: I, I think I agree with the moment. I, I, and, I, you know, I mentioned Nicole Kidman, who's also having a moment all by herself, uh, and Christina Hendricks. I left out Jessica Chastain. I mean, if they're only 2% yeah. of the planet, they certainly yeah. they are sort of disproportionately represented among the acknowledged great beauties of this planet.
5: Yeah, Yeah, we're pretty visible. There is a a theory which I find very convincing and quite fascinating that red was actually the first color we ever learned to recognize when we were all still living up in the trees because it enabled us to tell ripe fruit from unripe. So we're really hardwired to react to this color. It's why you find so many redheads in in adverts
4: as well. Um, right. There actually was a 2014 study that showed that 30% of TV commercials that ran during primetime featured a redhead prominently, wow. which is a lot when yeah. you There about you go.
1: So, Aaron, let's get a little bit into the biology of this. Um, uh, there actually are some things that are true. For example, my, I'm not redheaded. My doctor is after me all the time to make sure I take uh, vitamin D supplements. Uh, I gather that doesn't happen so much to you.
4: Yeah, I mean, we actually, as redheads, we don't need as much sun to make vitamin D. So they think that's part to do with evolution and and us, you know, migrating toward climates that were cloudy European places. So we developed the ability to create our own vitamin D in the body, kind of like survival of the fittest. And uh, when we do go outside, we're able to produce more vitamin D in a shorter amount of time than other hair colors, which is just like a fun superpower. So, Aaron,
1: (laughs) Aaron, Aaron, let's do another one. And this is literally true. Yesterday, Yesterday, I was at the dentist, and he said this thing to me that he says sometimes. He goes, all right, because I want, I want to just sort of experiment a little bit here. Uh, I, I want to know whether this whether I, what I'm doing is within your pain threshold or whether I need to give you uh, a- a- some anesthesia. And I felt like saying, I can already tell you. <laughs> give me some anesthesia. Give me some Novocaine. But, um, mm-hmm. but, but th- this is a slightly different equation, Aaron, with once again, with redheaded people.
4: That's right. Yeah. Redheads actually require more Novocaine at the dentist. I think any redhead could probably tell you that. I mean, for me, I have to get my entire mouth numbed up so that I don't feel anything. Um, And we also require, you know, more anesthesia during surgery. Uh, so we have this mutated NC1R gene that is likely the cause for that. But, um, but yeah, if you're a redhead and you're going to the dentist, you better let them know you're going to need
1: some more Novocaine. Hopefully they are already know. So, Jackie, and we, t- we talk about all this, and I think you alluded to it in the first segment. Uh, it might seem like, well, I think most people— they make kind of a cultural mental assignment to redheadedness. But redheadedness is a, um, a recessive genetic trait, right? And it has a genetic, I mean, there's a gene specifically associated with it. Correct?
5: Yeah, there is. Yes. Yes, it is. As Erin says, it's the MC1R gene. It is recessive. So both your parents have to be carrying the gene before a redheaded baby can result. But because it's recessive, if your parents have got one copy of this gene and one copy of a dominant gene, then they can be carrying the red headed gene without knowing that they are at all. My father had dark brown hair, very dark brown, and my mother is blonde. And they were absolutely astonished when this redheaded baby suddenly appeared. They had no idea care. where it came from no, okay. at all. There were lots of myths in my family to account for it. My grandmother had this saying that God gives a woman red hair for the same reason he gives a wasp stripes, which is, you know, an explanation I kind of like.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I know why wasps have stripes.
5: Oh, you know, it's a sort of a warning. Oh, OK. Watch
1: it. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So, um, yeah, there. you know, Aaron, that thing, that, like, uh, that where did he or she come from thing, I actually remember it from the movie Rushmore. Bill Murray has these uh, twin sons who are redheaded wrestlers, uh, and they don't, that, I mean, they seem temperamentally completely distinct from him, too. But I think he says at some point in the movie, I don't know where they came from. I'm not even sure they're mine. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And there were, you know, if you look back at at beliefs that people had, you know, like there was this Romanian belief that if you had red hair, you'd come back as a vampire after you died. Um, People, you know, felt that if you were born a redhead, um, that maybe you were marked by the devil. And I think that has a lot to do with not understanding where redheads come from, because if you are a parent that doesn't have red hair and you all of a sudden get this beautiful redhead, you might be like, oh... What happened here? It doesn't yeah, look like me. I think I know that's that my absolutely right. Very, yeah, my parents were very surprised, too. Same as Jackie. My dad <laughs> is very dark haired. My mom is a blonde. My mom, when she had me, said, where did this come from? She had no idea.
1: Yeah. Oh Yeah, go yeah. ahead.
5: Um, Um, You know, my brother, who for all we know, is also carrying the gene, is blonde. He has six children and not one of them is a redhead yet. And I've told him he can't stop until he gives me another redheaded (laughs) nephew or niece in the family.
4: You know,
1: Erin, I had heard the thing about uh, redheads being more difficult to to sedate uh, or to anesthetize. Um, I hadn't heard the thing about sensing temperature changes uh, until I saw. yeah. Isn't that fun? Yeah.
4: Yeah. So um, I. You know i guess a lot of redheads probably know this already to be true and uh the thing is that we can detect changes in temperature more keenly than ever, anyone else so if it's getting cold we'll know right away so we'll know if winter is coming if it's getting <laughs> hot we'll also know we're kind of like the groundhogs of the human world that's what i like to say because <laughs> um, that thing yeah, about winter power. is
5: also because we're all basically wildings aren't we so you know yeah, we would right. know.
4: Yeah, well, we would
1: now. Well, you know, the Wildings, and for people who don't watch Game of Thrones, the Wildings are these characters. I call them crypto-Vikings, but it's maybe a little bit more than this, and and maybe we could, uh, as we get near the end of this segment, uh, talk about this, too. I happen to, I did 23 me and I have, like, the most boring genotype in the world. I was really disappointed, except that I... I you a little bit high in Neanderthal genes, which I'm really excited about, but, yeah. apper- but apparently not high enough to be redheaded. So um, I, I don't know which one of you knows more about this. You both seem to know everything about being redheaded. <laughs> but, but is there an actual Neanderthal redheadedness, arguable there connection? There were
5: redheaded Neanderthals, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they would was, have um... done better in Northern Europe than their darker-skinned Neanderthal cousins. But unfortunately, yeah. the gene that produced red hair in Neanderthals is different to the one that produces red hair today. More's That's the right. pity. It would be so cool to say, you know, I have Neanderthal genes, and this proves it. So, yeah, but they, they
4: have found, you know, these Neanderthals in Spain and in Italy that, that had that mutated MC1R gene. But like Jackie said, it's it's not our gene. It's not the redhead gene that we have today.
1: Right. And, and, you know, I mean, you know, we began the show uh, with a clip, of, among other things, uh, of Igret uh, saying, you know nothing, Jon Snow. There's a way in which... I think redheaded people are sometimes characterized as having access to maybe certain other kinds of knowledge. I mean, she says it again and again, and what she's, I think, saying is, I am connected to a deeper set of mysteries than you are. You're basically kind of looking at what's in front. I mean, Jon Snow's not very smart anyway, but, um, <laughs> but that's another issue. But I mean, there's a way in which he, he can only really see what's in front of him. And I, I don't know that, I guess maybe part of that, where did you come from redheaded person um, may connect a little bit to a sense of mystery.
4: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, yeah. I think a lot of people, when they look at us, especially they want to know more about us because it's, I think being different, means that, that there is something about you that people don't understand, and, and you can't understand unless you're a redhead. So I definitely agree.
5: All right. I think that's yeah, absolutely ahead. right. This is how prejudice and discrimination work. They sort of glom together around one characteristic. But you do have to remember the character of Lilith, Adam's first wife from the Bible, mm-hmm. has traditionally been depicted as a redhead and was always supposed to be a sorceress with these unearthly powers. So that may have something to do with it
1: as well. Hmm. Well, we have to take a little break here. We're going to, first of all, say goodbye to Jackie Collis, Harvey, uh, writer, editor, author of the book, Red, A History of the Redhead. Jackie, it's so great to talk to you. And you
5: too. And great to talk to Erin as well. (laughs)
1: Well, Bye,
5: Jackie. I am very much
1: enjoying the Society of Redheads here. I wish I could be an an honorary one. We're going to take a break. We've got one more segment here to go. We'll be right back.
0: So listen to me if you care for your health You won't call me ginger unless you're ginger yourself Only a ginger can call another ginger ginger Oh, When you are a ginger, life is pretty hard Years of ritual bullying in the schoolyard Kids call in your ranga and fan of pants No invitation to the high school dance But you get up and learn to hold your head up you try to keep your cool and not get head up But until the feeling of ill is truly let up Then the word is ours and ours alone Don't you know that only a ginger Can call another ginger ginger Only a ginger Can call another ginger ginger So if you call us ginger, we just might come unhinged If you don't have a fringe with at least a tinge of the ginger Only ginger call You're another better, ginger, ginger ginger Now listen to me when I'm looking for sympathy Just because we're sensitive to UV Just cause we're pathetically pale We do alright with the females Yeah, I like to ask the ladies round for ginger beer And soon they're running their fingers through my ginger beard And dunking my ginger nuts into their ginger tea
2: Today's show was produced by brown-haired oppressor Josh Naleya and me, Kyone Wolf. Amanda Fish wouldn't kick Damian Lewis out of her tank. The part of Bill Curry was played by Ed Sheeran. And now,
1: back to Colin. We're coming down the home stretch here of our show about redheadedness. We hope we have done something to dispel prejudices and and negative ideas. With us is still Aaron LaRosa, former writer for BuzzFeed, creator of the blog Side of Ginger, and author of the big redhead book, Inside the Secret Society of Red Hair. Jim Stoker is with us. He's the event organizer for Redhead Days Chicago and owner of Alex's Alex's Washington Gardens. So Jim Stoker, tell us uh, about Redhead Days in Chicago.
3: Well, the last three years in Highwood, which is a small suburb in the northern suburbs of Chicago, I threw uh, Redhead Days, uh, an event uh, that I chanced upon in Breda, Holland in 2012 when I was riding my bicycle across Europe and came across the event completely by chance. And then a couple years later, I thought, oh, I can do this. And then they sent out a notification looking for worldwide affiliates, and so I jumped on it. It's basically a gathering of redheads we kind of the last few years have made it into a festival where we've had like events. We've had people with their books. Jackie was there the first year and was there last year. And people talk about redheads and we've had drinks and things to eat and t-shirts and a group photo and the world's uh most recognizable redhead. Ronald McDonald showed up the last three years. <laughs> Not my favorite representation of the redhead being the clown, but uh, anyway. I can't imagine um, it's,
1: it's anybody's. Hey, Aaron, one thing that we know scientifically is that uh, if you get a whole bunch of redheads, redheads together, as opposed to getting a whole bunch of people like me together, your group is going to smell better. Is that true, Aaron?
4: That is true. There was actually a doctor in the 1800s, Dr. Augustine Gallatin, who had this theory that, it, that your hair color determined how you would smell. So He studied three women—a blonde, a brunette, and a redhead. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, but it does. And his theory, and what he found, was that you know redheads smelled like violets. And he's not totally wrong because actually, scent is different on redheads. Everyone has this thing called a skin mantle, which is—you know—you can't see it, but it's on the top of your skin and it prevents bacteria from getting in. And for redheads. Ours is slightly more acidic. So when you put any kind of scent on us, it's going to smell differently and arguably better, I think, than on everyone else's skin.
1: Jim, I want to go back to that day in Holland. Uh, I've actually bicycled across uh, Holland. It's great to bicycle across because it's a so flat. But did you just sort of like stumble upon this gathering of redheaded people, people like you?
3: Yeah, I, I had cleared my schedule for a month. I flew to Amsterdam. I bought a used bicycle, and I was just going to meander my way to Munich. And the third day I was over there, I was riding to Utrecht, Holland, which is uh, 35 miles south of Amsterdam. And I was checking into a hostel and I asked the lady at the desk, I said, where should I go tomorrow? I want to ride about 80 kilometers, about 50 miles towards Belgium because I want to go to Belgium and drink beer. And she said, well, go check in and come back and I'll, I'll have thought of something. And I came back and she said, well, there's this lovely town called Breda. It's got this, that, the other. You should go there. So I jump on my computer and I start sending couch-surfing requests. I was doing couch-surfing. There's a website where mm-hmm. you can sleep on people's couches for free, believe it or not. And the first lady that responded to me from Breda said, I would love to host you, but I'm all full because of the Redhead Fest. <laughs> so here it is Thursday afternoon, and on Friday I'm about to ride to, to Breda, Holland, to completely by chance to attend the three-day seventh annual redhead fest.
1: Could you describe your emotions? I mean, did you feel like, oh, I'm home? I mean, I'm sure like all redheaded people, you felt a little bit like the odd person out. We haven't even used the term redheaded stepchild yet, but um, did you feel suddenly like, ah, I'm, I'm with my tribe? Yes, absolutely.
3: I mean, I had been a redhead almost 55 years at that point. I know no redheads. I have no redheaded family members. Uh, one of my grandfathers had red hair, but I you know, I can't say I was that close to him. And so to all of a sudden be in thousands, a group of thousands of redheads really was kind of life-altering. It changed the way I thought about myself. I had no idea what we were like <laughs> until I got to be around other redheads.
1: Did it go with any of the—I mean, we've talked about all this folklore and prejudice. I, I don't know. Was it a more tempestuous group? Was it any of those things that, that people say, or it was it just sort of a bunch of nice people drinking beer?
3: That's a bunch of nice people drinking beer. I mean, we are nice people, but yeah, we're, you know, we're a little different. I know I've always been different. Uh, You know, I'm a little more aggressive and frisky, so to speak, and, uh, you know, always felt different than everybody else. And now that I know redheads, I kind of see why, maybe.
4: I've been to the Chicago Fest two years in a row, and whenever you get redheads in a room, they just talk about, like, oh, you know, do you consider yourself fiery? Like. Has anyone called you a redhead stepchild, like, to that point? Like, they'll, they'll talk about kind of shared experiences that way.
1: Erin, uh, we're almost out of time here, and I feel like we should end on a really positive note. And I think the positive yeah. note that we need to end on is the redheaded emoji. So, Erin uh, LaRosa, <laughs> take us there.
4: So, I think redheads uh, all over the Internet have been petitioning for this for years, it looks like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Apparently, a redhead emoji is coming to us this year. Right now, there there is a mermaid emoji that has red hair, which is sort of fun. And I tend to use the fire emoji to signal redheads. But there is, as of now, no firm actual redhead emoji. There is an app you can download that is specifically for redheads. Like there was a, a redhead creator who made it. So if you want to go that far, you can you can download them early. But Apple should be coming out with a redhead emoji this year, which is super exciting for us. A step forward, if I may.
1: You know, you could look at it as like poop got an emoji before you did, but I don't think that's the right way to go. I think it's just to say <laughs> no. free at last. Right. Um, and all right. Well, listen, thanks to, uh, to both of you. Oh, Jim, when when will uh, this year's uh, redhead days in Chicago take place?
3: Well, we're working on it. We're we're shooting for the first weekend after uh, Memorial Day.
1: What do you do about and, guys who just show up there to hit on redheaded women? I mean, like who aren't redheaded?
3: Women. That I show up there to hit on redheaded women, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right, but it seems to me. Well, anyway, you work it out. It's 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 your community. You make the rules. All right. So thanks to, very much to both of you and to Jackie as well. Thank We've you. been talking to Erin LaRosa. Uh, her book uh, is the big redhead book inside the Secret Society of Red Hair. You got If you have red hair and you don't have this book, I don't know what's going on, actually. very reading. Right. And and just uh, stay tuned for more information about Jim Stoker's uh, Redhead Days in Chicago. Thanks to Josh Nilea for producing and Wolfie for uh, keeping things moving. And we will be back tomorrow, one way or the other. <laughs>
3: a red-headed woman
1: it takes a red-headed woman get a dirty job